Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I have the great pleasure of talking with Bruce Rogers, who is the Chief Insights Officer at Forbes and also the head of the CMO practice. Hi, Bruce. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nadine. Great to be here, and thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. I'm so excited to talk with you today because of all the work that you're doing in the CMO space and really understanding what that role is all about uh, but before I jump into all my questions, can you actually just take a few minutes and explain these multiple hats that you wear at Forbes of uh, being the chief insights officer and also the head of the CMO practice? What does that mean? Yeah, I try to explain that at home. It's not easy either. <laughs> I, have, um, I have what I call a weirdly wonderful job at Forbes. One, I work for an incredible brand, an incredible organization first and foremost, but, and I've been here for a few years, but I'm a former head of marketing who uh, woke up one day and thought that the future of marketing was really more about thought leadership and storytelling than ad impressions and founded a research organization called Forbes Insights, uh, hence the chief insights officer title. I'm the chief officer of that group and founded that several years ago, and that's a, um, a research organization and thought leadership group that is engaged by um, blue chip companies like Microsoft and IBM and KPMG to help them understand pain points in the C-suite, particularly uh, a place where Forbes has great connections to. And then secondarily, um, since I spent much of my career is running marketing organizations. Uh, I founded the CMO practice, which is uh, content um, research and events devoted to marketing leadership. And then thirdly, I write a column for Forbes where I uh, typically am profiling uh, founding uh, CEOs. So I, um, uh, I'm, I'm one of a few uh, business people at Forbes who also 
write for Forbes. Um, so me and Steve Forbes, uh, <laughs> I guess, are <laughs> that category here of a handful of us that do that. Wow, that's that's a lot on your plate, and uh, I commend you for tackling all that. Uh, so let, let's talk about insights for a second. You put out a report last year called the top 50 most influential CMOs. Can you talk a little bit about why you thought to do that and the methodology behind it and what you found? Yeah, sure. And I have to say, so that, that report is editorial as part with my um, colleague, Jenny Rooney. So I'm the business hat side of the CMO network. Uh, Jenny Rooney is the editor, uh, editorial side of that. And so uh, we both, we collaborated on this list and what we wanted to illuminate was all aspects of the changes that are happening within the role of the CMO and how they're affecting their consumers or customers how they're impacting and affecting their the employees and how they are affecting the discipline and practice of marketing overall. So a very broad perspective. And uh, we did use a couple of partners to get at the data and uh, including Sprinkler and LinkedIn to help us uh, come up with a methodology to calculate that. And so it, one, it had to be uh, data-driven and numerate. That's what Forbes does. We're, we're famous for a list, but they are based on data and, um, and empirical information. So that's, that was first and foremost, do we have a rock-solid methodology that we could do this? And uh, then we um, published the list, and um, I think it really is emblematic and representative of what's happening in the world of CMO. CMOs are responsible for so much, have so much influence inside and outside the company, including influence on the culture in general. They determine what we see in media and what events get supported through sponsorship. So their influence is, is immense and deep. And so we wanted a way to capture that. Yeah, it's, it's a great report. I, I was fascinated reading through all the, the, the interesting findings that you had. When you think about the, the factors, you talked about the, the methodology. It's all laid out here in the report. But can you just give a high level on you know, what the key factors were? Sure. So the baseline was that companies had to have a significant financial contribution of their brand to the company. And so we used the uh, brand finance global 500 list plus the Forbes list of the world's most uh, valuable brands as our baseline to start. So there, there's no doubt there are many incredibly successful uh, CMOs who are working at you know smaller companies or even startups um, who wouldn't have been included in the list because of that first. Um, part of our methodology. Then we used um, data from Sprinkler and LinkedIn to determine how their words and communications and actions are engaged in the company internally. So what they write and talk about, 
Um, is it gaining traction? Do they influence people inside the company? Because you can't create brand advocates outside the company if you don't have brand advocates inside the company. In fact, you probably have to have that first before the latter. So that was one aspect. So is your, is your communications gaining traction internally within your company? Two, do you have influence over what's talked about for your brand? And how do you manage that externally and in your engagement with customers? Because that is presumably the traditional role of the CMO. And then thirdly, are you influential about topics that, that are important to the discipline and practice of marketing? So those were the three things that we wanted to define as influence. And those were the, um, uh, the metrics that we used and the data that we generated out of Sprinkler and LinkedIn uh, to determine it. Wow. Well, it's really fascinating. Um, and I, I want to talk a little bit about something that you just mentioned, because I'm such a big believer in this. Um, you were talking about influence on the inside of the company. And <clears throat> I knew a culture expert. Well, I still know him. Um, and he used to say, you can't sell it outside if you can't sell it inside. Right. And, you know, it, I, I firmly agree with that. And I've seen a real trend, and I'm curious what your perspective is on this, that chief marketing officers are also becoming what one could define as a chief culture officer, if you will, because they're really helping to set the brand purpose and set the vision and unite employees under the purpose of the brand. What is your perspective on that? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, The history of marketing has taken us to this point um, where it, in a, f- a few years ago, and you know maybe even ten years ago, it, it had become a fairly siloed responsibility. Um, you're responsible for marketing, communications, and promotions, and we know that's changed so much because it's about business, and the business is about so much more. And so, if the CMO was going to be responsible f- for the growth of the company and held accountable, they needed to have the means of production to do so. And that meant driving uh, advocacy internally. And and in many ways, that is a a role that sometimes communications held or most places HR held. And what I'm seeing is a very close collaboration between the CMO and HR in a way that's pretty fundamental that the messaging and the strategy around a purpose-driven organization uh, is who else to better articulate that than, than the CMO to such a degree that some CMOs have human resources reporting to them. It's, it's still pretty unusual, but it does happen. Uh, You you look at someone like Peter McGinnis, at uh, Chibani. I mean, he is so much more than a CMO. Um, He is really all about strategy. The entire HR department reports to him. He has, you know, he's a real, what I call a CMO plus, Um, in addition to an incredibly creative person who develops incredibly amazing communications and traditional, you know, advertising that, that we see typically for Chibani. Um, that we've come to know the brand 
buy. Um, but it's one of those brands that's purpose-driven and marketing holds the keys to promoting and driving that purpose throughout the organization. Yeah, I'm so excited you mentioned Peter because um, Peter's a great guy and he's actually going to be a guest on this show as well coming up here soon. Um, <laughs> and I remember last year when we were working on the playbook, he said, you know, when I first got to Shivani, he said it was like an embarrassment of riches. Uh, because you couldn't ask for a more dedicated CEO and founder that believes in people and the brand standing for something that's wholesome and good and good for you. He's like, it's, he's like a kid in a candy store. So, um, but you're right. I like that term CMO plus, um, who else would you say is a CMO plus and why? Uh, there are there are many, and I, I'm sure I'm going to be remiss in, in only mentioning a few. Um, I would say um, one who definitely falls into that category for me is Chris Capicella at Microsoft, because he is also uh, falls into this category of really driving culture change within the organization. And if you have watched what's happened at Microsoft over the past three years with uh, Satya Nadella coming in as the new CEO and really transforming the company, and, and certainly you can't transform the company without a CEO who has a very strong vision for that, and he certainly does. But I, I believe very strongly that it couldn't have happened in as dramatic and an effective way without without Chris. And so he, I've heard him talk about this. It's very impactful. It's really marketing led business transformation. And yes, there's all these things that you have to do within the marketing organization to transform, but it's also about transformation outside of the marketing organization that needs to connect to all the aspects of marketing and communications and behavioral change that a company needs to move forward to change from the old to the new. And I think, you know, no one better is uh, representative of that change than Chris. That's a great example. And I, I, I promised I wouldn't put you on the spot. I was uh, a little over eager in the CMO plus title. So we'll have to talk more about that in the future. Um, I love it um, because I, I do believe it's time for us to redefine maybe the role of the CMO uh, because there, there is a lot of confusion out there as to what a CMO should be doing. And in some cases, uh, you know, only owning a piece of what some other CMOs might own might be totally appropriate for the business. Um, and, and so how, how do you think about that? And, and, you know, what would you, say are sort of the core functions and then what are these maybe some of these other things that we're seeing now really come to light as being part of that in the plus factor well there's a couple things i'm seeing and um and some of this has comes out from uh, incredible work that kim whitler who's a a forge contributor and a uh a huge influencer herself over the CMO community. And she's done a lot of research on CMO alignment. And so um, 
many reasons why CMOs fail and the failure rate is increasing, sadly. And there, you know, last year were some pretty high profile CMOs who, you know, moved on from their roles. Um, and often the case, it's because of misalignment. It, that is, they were set up to fail because they did not, they were not given the means to accomplish what, what the expectation of the organization was. And the expectations are, you know, be a transformative CMO, change the culture, drive top line growth, contribute to uh, uh, profits and bottom line, um, improve our reputation and, and brand equity. You know, those, those are lots of things that, that need to happen. And is the CMO reporting directly to the CEO? In some cases, not. Do they have the remit inside the organization to make that happen? Or in some cases, are, do they have the skills to make that happen? Um, so we're seeing the expectations often are, are outsized for, for the role some, sometimes. And, and, and I think that gets organizations in trouble. And it's just, you know, historically, it's always, it's the easy place to go, right? My analogy is you're the manager of the Mets or whatever team you want, analogy you want to use, right, uh, as a CMO. And your job is to get to the World Series. And if you don't get to the World Series, everybody knows what happens. You, you know, you, you move on. And so there's a certain amount of expectation. But if you don't have all the right tools, and you don't have the right players in place, and you don't, you know, all the things you need to do, and you haven't created the right culture in the clubhouse, then, you know, you don't have a chance to get there. Right. And when we were talking last week, we were talking about how it's not really about, I mean, yes, the four P's still exist, but now it's a, it's a different lineup of four things. It's the four C's. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So this is a framework that I've used for a couple of years now as I, as we've said, I, I have the great um, fortune um, and honor to spend a lot of time speaking with literally hundreds of CMOs around the world and the work that I do and the writing I do and the research I do. And um, as they were telling me of the challenges and issues they have, I kind of saw the world of the CMO as more around what I call the four C's of capabilities, content, culture, and commerce. And, um, uh, you know, you can pick which, you know, it's, in, it's not in an order of priority. They're all important. Um, although I'll talk about the commerce one because I think the, the inability to, to connect marketing investments and activities to financial outcomes is is really at the root of any challenge within the organization around marketing. But I can, we can come to that in a minute. But um, capabilities is crucial because what, what we do as marketers is changing. It's changing every day. And do you have the right people in the right place? And do you have the right organization in place to succeed in, in today's world? And often... The case, the org chart looks like it did 50 years ago and um, nothing's changed, but the expectation is 
and everything else is going to change. So there's a disconnect there. So we've done a lot of research and a lot of writing and a lot of best practices on how to, on how to organize and how to think about that. Content, I, I say content because it's such a broader um, and challenging concept than, um, than advertising or communications. Content is a real supply chain issue because can you create enough content to fill sort of an endless supply of digital channels that are required today? And, you know, can you maintain quality and expectations and track and manage and measure the return on your investments in content? Many, many struggled with that and told me so and, and asked you know, what, how others are, are approaching that. Culture is one of those evergreen things that's always going to be there because it's, it's, it's almost another word for leadership. And the kind of leader today is a little bit different as we've been talking, but leadership is always going to be a difference maker in any organization and particularly at the CMO role. So we've spent a lot of time in, in, in research helping to identify what, best in class leaders are doing to, to lead their organization. And then the best or worst, depending how you look at it, uh, save for last is commerce. And so when I asked, spent a lot of time talking to uh, marketing leaders about commerce. And by that, I mean, again, the connection between invest marketing investments and business outcomes, particularly enterprise value, um, the most answers were, I can measure tactics, but I can't measure everything I do in marketing. And I'm, and I'm not even sure you want to measure everything you do in marketing. And so I, I thought, well, that's interesting. And then they, and then they said, but if you could do that, that would be the Holy grail. Of course you can't do that. Um, so I took that as a bit of a challenge and just, you know, did some quantitative research and just talked to the smartest people I know on the planet and everybody had a little bit better answer. Nobody had the full answer, but, um, everybody had some of the answer and we kind of crowdsourced a, a solution around this that we put together in a hundred page report, um, that we're calling the Marketing Accountability Initiative, and um, it's now gaining some some great traction with folks. Um, as um, as I said, I, I really find it's the root cause of most of the challenges that marketers have. The language that marketers speak is not the language that the rest of the organization speaks, and particularly finance. And so, can you you know create the Rosetta Stone that provides a connection between them so that they can speak the same language, understand the goals are the same and get on the same page about marketing rather than, you know, everyone's an expert as in marketing, right? That's always what we hear. No one says to, you know, goes into their CFO and says, gee, you have this great idea of, you know, where to invest our treasuries or, you know, uh, how to refinance our corporate bonds. Um, but everybody seems free to walk into the CMO's office and 
and give their bright ideas. And I think that's a function of not being on the same page with the same language, with the same metrics, measuring the same thing. It's interesting because um, I just recorded Raja's session as well. Raja, Raja Manar is this yeah. MasterCard. Yeah. And he and I have talked about this a number of times and, and it came up on his podcast again too. I, I love that you're talking about uh, a translation tool um, because very often you say the same word, but it's interpreted differently. Uh, even if it's the same exact word, it's, it means different things to different people. And uh, I'm curious, do you have any of those words, those terms that come to mind that's often misunderstood between marketing and finance? Yeah. Brand. How's that? <laughs> I love that. Okay. But keep going. <laughs> you would think that that is the, you know, that is the number one responsibility of CMO, you know, keeper of the brand, manage, increase, enhance, grow the brand. The brand is everything. Now, I think everyone intuits that throughout the organization, but what does that actually mean? In finance, brand means something very, very different. And in fact, it has, it's, it is a, an accounting term. It has, it is an asset that in some cases, depending on um, FASB rules, uh, Financial Accounting Standards Board for accounting, if you, um, if there's a merger with another company, you have to put the value of that brand on your books. And if that, and if there is uh, some significant um, impairment to the value of the brand, you need to report that as part of generally accepted accounting principles. And according to the SEC, these, these are strict rules. Except for the brand can never increase, according to those rules, in accountant's world, which defies logic, right? So, so there's the language of the accountants on brand, and then there's what everyone has spent their entire careers learning about how to build a brand. And they're, they're two completely different things. Now, you know, putting them on the putting finance into marketing and marketing into finance is, is what I'm talking about. And so that you have that definition very clearly identified. So then, so then when you say I am investing in the brand, you are saying I am investing in the growth of the company based on these metrics that we all agree on. That's very different. When most people hear brand, they hear the, the word brand in the board room has become like Voldemort. It's, you know, <laughs> shall not be named because that's the signal that, you know, the CMO wants to spend money on the Super Bowl. Um, and, you know, what are we going to get for that? And where's the return? But if everybody had the same language, understood the same thing, including the board, including the CEO, the CFO, and the CMO, when we said brand, we're talking about an asset that is sits inside our market capitalization that is literally why all of us are in business here and go to work every day. That is a great example. So thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I try to remember who now said it. I think it was Denise, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but she was talking about, 
you know, right now they've put a lot of energy and effort into being able to measure the impact of their actions in financial terms and that they can measure about 80% of the, the actions that they take. And that's, that's a pretty high number. Uh, and according to what you just said, you know, everybody's in a different place in that range, but what do you think the common number is that most people can measure? <laughs> um, I, that's a really interesting question because, um, the, the, the answer depends on the nature of what you're measuring, you know, of what you're putting under the rubric of measuring. Cause most people say measure, they mean campaigns. So, um, most people are not measuring the return on the, what they spend on data. Uh, research we've done shows that 87% of marketers can't identify the return on data in, in a 12 month period. And yet data is up, is now at the center of the modern marketing organization. So it's typically, uh, devoted to campaign tactics. You know, can I measure my TV, my outdoor, my radio, my digital, uh, my um, events and sponsorships, you know, typical uh, my promotions, et cetera. Um, can I measure the return on my marketing tech stack? Um, although there are, you know, ways of, you know, that gets capitalized in a different way by the organization and that's understood by a different metric, but how is that contributing to marketing effectiveness? How are you measuring that? And, and there, and there literally is a, a way to do that. Um, are you measuring innovation? Are you, are you responsible for innovation? And if you're not responsible for it, um, are you responsible for, communicating innovation within your organization. Innovation is one of those terms that is now often connected to a CMO as well. And that's something that's um, seems to be increasing as well as responsibilities, but started with, I think, Beth Comstock at uh, GE. Who, by the way, set the bar on the modern CMO um, for all CMOs today even though it's not a role she no longer has at GE. Yeah, and Beth, Beth has come up quite a bit too. Um, she's certainly uh, a great role model for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, and interesting, you know, in Antonio Lucio's podcast that we did, we were talking about being able to get to a point where you can measure the impact on uh, or the return on emotion, I'll say it that way. You know, if you can connect with people emotionally, and I know Antonio's also working on measuring the impact of things like having more diverse teams. Yeah. Um, that to me feels like very new ground, and it's so refreshing to see people like Antonio, people like Diego Scotti, who I just uh, interviewed yesterday, taking this very seriously. This notion of if we inspire our teams, if we grow our teams, if we have more diverse teams, we connect with people on an emotional level in an authentic way, it will grow our business. And we all say that, 
We all sort of know that. But what are you seeing in terms of real tangible proof that can draw the line directly back to those types of initiatives? Well, um, two things I'll say about that. One is there is uh, deep academic research to support the idea that marketing capability impacts marketing effectiveness, which impacts marketing enterprise value. So what is sort of new to that is the idea that marketing capability and marketing effectiveness depends today more than ever on having um, a diverse group of thinkers who help the company become more agile, more flexible, more in tune with their customers um, and, and become more innovative. Those are two separate but closely aligned things. And so the, the research that Antonio's is talking about and working on is uh, rel- relatively new to marketing. There's a tremendous amount of research that's been done to, you know, sort of unequivocally show that diversity of thinking is a uh, better um, decision-making model than than otherwise. Um, it just, it, it, it hasn't been plugged into the marketing equation yet. And I, you know, my hats off to Antonio, as always, as an innovator and leader within business, let alone the marketing discipline. Yeah. So I can't wait to see what he comes up with. And I'm sure you will also be involved in some way. And I can't wait to see all the topics that you'll cover in the future. But let's, let's shift gears completely right now. Okay. Okay. So... Did you always know you wanted to do this when you were growing up as a kid? Well, it's, no, uh, I didn't. You know, I wanted to be a writer. I knew I was always going to be a writer of some sort. Um, and then I kind of discovered there was this thing called advertising. So then I wanted to write advertising. that seemed like a glamorous kind of thing to do. Um so I, I, I didn't really know what that was or what that was about, so, but I had sort of vague notions of that. And um, there, I also wanted to get into journalism at the same time. So it was kind of the two sides of that and actually went to school for journalism first then switched to communication. At what point did you have that, that spark that said, well, oh, I'm going to shift gears. I'm going to go over here. <laughs> well, um, I, I was, I, I was really focused on, on writing. I was going to like every probably marketer or anyone in advertising, you know, I've got a, probably has a screenplay gathering dust in their, you know, bedside table. But, um, so that's what I thought I was going to do. And then, you know, the, I, the reality of, uh, paying the rent and, you know, buying groceries, uh, came in. And so, uh, I, I, I looked for a job in advertising and that's, and that's what I did for a living. And then found out that I loved it. it. It was very fulfilling on, you know, it was creatively fulfilling. It was culturally and, um, interpersonally. And it was what I was meant to do. Yeah. 
it's amazing. All the guests that I talk to, they all share that same love. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my last question for you, if you weren't doing what you're doing right now, what else would you be doing? That's an easy one. I would be playing in my rock band which <laughs> anyway, but don't not nearly as much as I'd like. Um, if somehow I could have the same standard of living and do that for a living, I, I would do that in a heartbeat. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Okay, so do you play cover tunes? Yes. So um, uh, it's a classic rock cover tune bar band. We have so much fun. Oh my gosh. That's, okay, what's your favorite song to cover? So we cover a lot of Allman Brothers. So in memory of Elizabeth Reed, doesn't get played very many places very often. So that's a great fun one to do. Oh, that's great. Well, I need to stop asking questions. I did say that was my last one three <laughs> questions ago, but you took me by surprise and I, I just love it. So my husband's a not so secret rocker too. So, um, okay. but he also okay. cut his hair off and went into marketing at some point, but he still has a guitar and he still loves his vinyl. Ah, okay. Well, good for him. <laughs> Maybe you two will cross paths one day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Excellent. Living the dream. Absolutely. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, um, great information and uh, very, very helpful. And I look forward to hopefully maybe around two one day. <laughs> great, Nadine. It's been great fun. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Take care. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 